We are all very human and fallible, and yet we live in a society that rewards pretending we're not fallible, or the range of acceptable fallibility is narrow. We are constantly comparing our insides to other people's outsides and feeling inadequate and guilty, even ashamed. Trying to blend in means parts of ourselves will disappear, and we must then live in fear that we will be found out. Here, together, we will create a space where we can laugh, cry, and carry our suffering and hurts lightly. In the service of being deeply human. This is Life's Dirty Little Secrets. Hello, and welcome to Life's Dirty Little Secrets. I'm Chris McCurry. I'm Emma Waddington. And today we are privileged to have as our guest a clinical psychologist in private practice in Denver, Colorado, Debbie Sorensen. She is the co-creator and co-host of the Apology Podcast, Psychologists Off the Clock. And she's the author of a couple of books, the ACT Daily Journal, Get Unstuck and Live Fully with Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, as well as the upcoming ACT for Burnout. So welcome, Debbie. Thank you, Chris and Emma. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me on. So burnout, that is a popular topic, but I think one that's often misunderstood. Tell us about you know, burnout. What is it? And how do we even know that we have it? Yeah, well, it's a great question. And it's, it is interesting because I think we all have a little bit of a sense of what that word means, but sometimes it gets overlooked or definitely misunderstood. The, the first thing you need to know about burnout is that it always happens in chronic, it always happens in chronically stressful roles, typically the workplace, but you can also see burnout in roles like parenting and caregiving, any role where there's a high demand on people and just this stress that doesn't seem to ease up over the course of time. And I mean, I'll just go with the sort of the straightforward World Health Organization conceptualization of burnout, because of course, people are trying to grapple with this, you know, what is it getting into the specifics? Is this just depression, that kind of thing. But the hallmark of, of burnout, of course, is feeling exhausted and depleted, just whatever that stressful role is, after a period of high stress, eventually, you just feel like you've got nothing left to give. You're just so tired and fatigued that you almost just feel like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I definitely can't keep doing it at the level I was doing it before. It usually also involves some detachment, just not feeling as engaged as you normally do. Often you feel a bit cynical. You kind of end up in this really negative place in terms of your thinking around the, the particular role. Just feeling like I don't care that much anymore. And it's often also accompanied by feeling just not as good at it as usual. You know, usually I take pride in my work, but I'm just, I'm not accomplishing much, as much. And sometimes people actually aren't because they're so tired. They're just not achieving as much. But even if they are, they're just, they don't feel very effective in their role anymore. So that's kind of the, just the basic definition of what burnout is. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like it could be a real downward spiral where you're detaching almost as a way of protecting yourself, mm. but then you're not as engaged and you're not as effective and then you become more discouraged and on and yeah. on. I think that's absolutely true. I think one of the things that happens, not that people are necessarily thinking this through and doing it on purpose, but I think when you have a role 
that puts a lot of demand on you and you're just feeling stressed out all the time and it just feels like a lot, it is a way to step back. It's not necessarily a very helpful or effective way, but it's a way to manage that, to sort of guard against it as to kind of detach a little bit. And unfortunately, that also makes it, uh, you know, often people are burnt out in a role that they really care about deep in their heart. And so it makes it hard to feel a sense of vitality, a sense of purpose that they might normally feel because they're just feeling kind of, you know, unenthusiastic, detached, a little blah about it. And and as I'm sure we'll touch on a little later, it's it's because these are roles that we value that we're putting so much into them and it matters to us so much. And so the cost is pretty high. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think there are a lot of different roles where people can get burned out, but almost so many, it's hard to even, you couldn't even make a comprehensive list of all the different roles and work roles and professions and types of work that people, you know, work defined broadly, types of work that people are doing. But I do think that often high risk areas are are meaning driven work, things like teaching, healthcare, therapists, can experience burnout for sure. People who are into activism. So many times it's actually kind of an interesting paradox because people care so much about the work that they're doing that they really engage and sometimes maybe overdo it, take on so much, whether they do that on purpose or it's kind of forced upon them depends. But and then at some point, it just gets to be too much. But it is often the case that it's a it's a role people care deeply about that that makes us prone to burnout. And and there are some societal, cultural, institutional contributors to burnout, aren't there? Yes, and this is really crucial because I think that we live in a culture in which you know people are expected to be on people are expected to work hard typically i think often people work in systems in which the system itself contributes to burnout and i think that's really fundamental to acknowledge i work i have a background in healthcare i spent many years working in a hospital setting as a psychologist which is where i first became interested in burnout because i experienced it myself And I think that's a classic example of a system. So I'm talking about the U.S. healthcare system here, the system in which people are working, and they're often very talented, hardworking people who really care deeply about it. But the system is not really conducive to helping people manage. I mean, the the chronic stress is part of the way that the, the system is just embedded in the system. I'll put it that way. So, yeah, and culturally, you know, when you think about just the chronic stress of living in the world we live in in recent years and how often people are expected to be very productive and people are in this system of kind of this hustle culture. I, I like that phrasing of it where it's it's kind of the norm or, or the expectation for many people. So chronic stress is is hard to avoid in the world we live in. Just a, a thought, just as you were talking about the healthcare, I was, I was remembering an earlier podcast with my sister, actually, who's a nurse. And we talked about moral injury together. And I actually first heard about moral injury through your podcast, Debbie, a few years ago when you, you know, you had a fabulous interview. And I think that piece is, you know, it, it really shows in, in terms of the healthcare that the context 
in which you work has such a big influence on out. And if you combine the two, like the moral injury conversation we had was about not getting to do things the way you would really like them to be done. And that creates a sense that things are being done, you know, incorrectly, but really breaking your values. Like you're having to do things in a way that really go against your values. And combining that with caring so much about doing the right thing seems to be such a sort of recipe for destruction when it comes to burnout. So I think in the healthcare, there's a, it's a particularly explosive environment in terms of burnout. We're particularly vulnerable. And it was so interesting to listen to you saying that about you know when we care too much. And we so often hear people saying, well, you should care less. You should just care less about your work and you should care less about you know, doing things a certain way and how you know, that in a way also can, can propel us into the burnout because we struggle with that trying to care less when actually it's super important to us, our job. You know, in, in, in many ways, many people, you know, their job, given that it's so much of our time, is very meaningful to us. So, yeah, I just wanted to point out that the, the parallels between moral injury and, and burnout that we've obviously touched on before and how that can be particularly the case in, in the healthcare profession when yeah. we don't do things. And some people actually argue that really that's what we're talking about here, that there's an article, a really pretty famous one, Wendy Dean and Simon Talbot wrote it about moral injury. And they say, we shouldn't really be calling this burnout because it implies that, you know, this is your problem when it's really a systemic moral injury. And I think we see it in other professions too, teaching, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think many professions where it feels like I know what would be what it would be like to do a really values consistent job here. And I'm up against some constraints that make it impossible to do that on a daily basis. And just think about the emotional impact of that, you know, Mm -hmm. and then that argument, should you, is the solution here to care less? Mm -hmm. I've heard some people say that, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. go more toward a good enough, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, this is good enough. This is just a paycheck. I'm not going to get it as engaged. And I think for some people, maybe that's a framework that, might appeal to them and be helpful. It's like, I'm just going to take my paycheck and go. But I I do think that the cost of that sometimes is actually vitality. Mm -hmm. But I also think that even if you care deeply, you have to set some boundaries with it. You know, just because you care about your job doesn't mean you need to be Mm -hmm. working constantly and become a workaholic and, you know, never stop putting your work down at the end of the day. That's Mm -hmm. when it starts to really take a toll, I think. Yeah. Lack of autonomy is, I know, a critical factor in burnout and the way our our systems are moving where you've got hedge funds buying up everything from, you know, medical practices to companies to schools, privatization. Things get uh, really centralized somewhere. God knows where and God knows who is, you know, telling you what you need to do and what you can and cannot do. That's uh, going to add to that frustration and that stress. Absolutely. Yeah, that autonomy piece is really huge. I think we can all probably relate to that feeling of it doesn't feel very good to feel like you don't have any choice. You're being told what to do. And that absolutely can contribute to burnout. And I think you're right. We often work within systems where we have to, for instance, try to you know, just as a healthcare, as an example, we have to try to see as many patients as we can because there's some 
mandate about trying to get as many people through the system as we can. And we're not given a choice. You know, would you like to see five patients today or 30? We're just being told, here's your schedule. See this many patients. I mean, I'm talking about healthcare systems. And yeah, that's not a good feeling. No, not at all. Yeah. So how do I know if I'm burned out? How do, how do I do a little sort of self-assessment or their questionnaires? I mean, I'm, I'm sure I could go online and find all kinds of questionnaires to take that would probably tell me that I am, but any, any ones that you would particularly uh, steer people toward? Yeah, it's funny because, well, yes. So the Mas, Christina Maslock has the Maslock Burnout Inventory, MBI, which is very well validated. It's used very widely and you can, you have to pay for it, but you can take it online and it will give you a really comprehensive report about your type of burnout. So if you really want to dive deep into it, go online and take that one. But you can actually just another, sorry, another well-validated measure basically just say, it says something like this on a scale of zero to 10, how burned out do you feel right now? And so you can just Based on your own intuitive understanding of burnout, you can rate yourself on that scale. And the scale basically, you know, zero means like, no, I'm not burned out at all. Five means, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of burned out. I'm definitely feeling like I've, I'm a little bit more tired and disengaged than usual. And 10 is like, oh, I'm so burned out. I'm not sure if I can keep doing this anymore. Mm. And your intuitive rating of that will actually be a pretty good indicator. And I think that that's in part because we all kind of have an intuitive sense of what it means for ourselves. And also because it's a little bit nebulous in terms of how do you define burnout? Because some people, you know, you might feel burned out a little bit for a couple of days. It's not really a big deal. You bounce out of it. And sometimes burnout is profound and lasts a really long time. And and I don't think there's really, some people have opinions about this, but even within the World Health Organization definition, they don't really have a very clear criteria. It's not so easy to define. So I think you have to almost just define it for yourself, but I think it is easy. So just noticing things like, am I stressed out? Am I feeling tired? Am I you know, getting into some unhealthy patterns around my stress here that might not be serving me very well? And if so, what needs to change? Yeah, I think one, just as I'm listening to you, I think it can be easily overlooked, especially if we have the idea that you mentioned before we started that, you know, we need to work our way out of burnout, that we're just not working enough, that that's the problem. And, you know, that is something that's a kind of narrative that I would say our culture probably encourages. You just need to get more organized or you just need to sort your diary out or you just need to do more. And actually, that reminds me of another podcast that we did about, you know, this idea that subtract. And I know that he was also on your podcast, this idea that when we're feeling, feeling really stressed out and we're under a lot of cognitive load, subtraction, taking things out of our workload or out of our day just doesn't, it doesn't occur to us. Instead, we just add more. And it feels like that's a pattern in burnout too, is that we think, oh, we're just, you know, not doing a good enough job. We just need to keep going. We need to work harder. We need to work more efficiently. All these kind of hacks that actually paradoxically are burning you out more and you can get stuck in that cycle. That's right. I think I experienced that when I was burned out, which is that at first I just thought I wasn't keeping up. 
I wasn't, I had, you know, my parenting role and my work role and all the stress Mm -hmm. of my life. And I just felt like I was, I wasn't able to do it all. And I really blamed myself for a long time because I think I thought, well, if I was more organized and if I was more on top of things and I just worked a little bit harder, then I wouldn't be feeling this way. And I'd be back to my normal level of productivity. And I see that so often. It takes this aha to recognize, okay, this isn't a matter of me not keeping up. This is what happens when you're in that chronically stressful role for too long. And I think that's the truth of it is that no one can really keep that going forever. No one can. Mm -hmm. So to stop blaming yourself is a pretty important first step, I would say. Well, one one of our themes for this podcast is the idea that we're constantly comparing our insides to other people's outsides. And so we're looking at coworkers or, you know, the social media, you know, Facebook, whatever. And it seems like everybody is doing so well and not stressed and not fumbling and stumbling and, you know, having self-doubt. So we just think, well, I, I just need to just work harder or be 15 years younger or something. Yeah, I, I work so much with burnout in my private practice because it's become an area of specialty to me. And I had a client once say to me, well, all of my colleagues, none of them are as stressed as I am. They're all doing more than me and they're it doesn't bother them. And I said, how do you know that? You know, have you mm. talked to them about this? Well, they all seem so, they really seem to have it together. None of them seem that stressed. And I said, I'm not going to believe that until you go talk to each and one, every one of them really openly <laughs> about what's really going on because you're in a hard job. I, I just don't believe it. But I think in certain mm-hmm. environments, people won't acknowledge it. It's There's this pressure to look like you've got it all under control. And sometimes I like the metaphor of the duck you see gliding across the top of the lake and it looks so smooth. But what you don't see is that underneath its feet are just paddling away super fast and it's working really hard under there, but it just looks so smooth. And I think sometimes people are doing that and they're not acknowledging. Nobody can keep up a really high pace for a long time without it taking a toll. Maybe they can do it, but it's going to have a consequence if they do. But sometimes they don't let you see those feet working underneath. They want you to think, oh, yeah, I've got this under control. It doesn't bother me. I'm, I can handle all this. And I think that it would help a lot of people just get more real about that. And in fact, I do like that the narrative is starting to change about this. I think people are acknowledging, acknowledging it more than, say, 10 years ago. And I actually think that's pretty healthy for everyone. Absolutely. Because yeah, I think the narrative with burnout has been it's your fault like you're doing something wrong. And so the idea is that we want to hide that. We want to hide that we're not handling this and somehow, you know, yeah, that's the, the shame. Like, why can't I handle this? Why can everybody else do it, but I can't? What's wrong with me? And that's what needs to shift, really. Well, and think about who benefits from everyone thinking that way. I mean, I think if you think about a classic job setting, I think, There's someone who's probably making a profit off of people feeling like they need to work really hard to keep up and that if they struggle with that, that it's their fault. And I'm not saying there's a person sitting there consciously Mm -hmm. thinking of this, but I think it's just a pervasive part of our culture for people to, oh, I need to be resilient. 
and I need to work harder and I need to beat this burnout and I need to stay on top of things. And, you know, I think at a certain point, it just gets too much for people. And, and I think, you know, somebody once told me years ago that when you're feeling powerless, you tend to go for drastic solution. And, you know, that lack of autonomy, that feeling stressed out. And I think a, a, a lot of the, the drastic solutions that people go to are either to, well, to care less, which is very helpful in the long run, or to just quit, you know, mm-hmm. or to avoid or to, you know, double down on things like, you know, I'm going to work harder, or I'm going to buy yet another book on time management or something. So from from your clinical practice and your experience in this, tell us a bit about, you know, the pitfalls of either the avoidance move or the control move. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that there are so many different versions of this and probably most of us do several of them on any given week of our lives when we're feeling stressed out, which is that we don't like feeling that way. And actually, sometimes we've even been told that stress is dangerous for us. You know, we're going to have a heart attack any minute if we're under a high amount of stress or something like that. And so we get into patterns to try to reduce stress. We talked already today about trying to outrun it, trying to outwork it. You know, well, I'll just catch up on everything I need to get done. And then my stress will be down and I'll be fine. So we're just in that pattern of working so hard to get there. Sometimes it is procrastination or just checking out or quitting our job. And sometimes that's a good solution. If you have a job where you're like, this is making me miserable, sometimes it is good to walk away and do something different if you have that that luxury. Sometimes people get into patterns like, you know, drinking alcohol at the end of the day and and maybe that's okay f- sometimes, but maybe or they're doing at, that too at, much. Or... At the beginning of the day. Right. Or at the beginning of the day to, oh to make it through and you can see where that can go. And so, yeah, I think that sometimes the very things we do to try to make ourselves feel better when we're burned out, when we're tired, when we're stressed. I mean, a classic one I see is people staying up on their phones all night long because they're like, oh, this is the first chance I've had to have a break all day. But then they're mm. so tired the next day. And, mm. you know, these types of things often might help us feel a little better in the short term, but then they just really exacerbate our stress or they add to that feeling of disengagement or just make us feel un they just make us feel more depleted recharged i don't know that's not a word less charged mm-hmm. up you know what i mean like if you're if you're hungover mm-hmm. and tired the next day you're probably mm-hmm. not going to feel a whole lot better sometimes people even i mean get into some self-care behaviors that are really good Mm -hmm. on the surface. You know, I do yoga, I go get a massage. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think sometimes people almost feel like they have to do so many of those types of things to get out of this place of stress that that starts to be a problem. That takes up time that they could spend doing something else or that becomes another chore. Oh, well, it's my own fault. I didn't practice mindfulness. I didn't do yoga. You know, there can be some blame within that as well. Yeah. Where am I going to fit in meditation? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) I know. It's just so, I mean, I laugh not because, you know, it's funny. It's because I so recognize it. And, you know, taking a step back is, you know, is an opportunity to go, that's, it's just, see, of course, we're feeling overwhelmed when, you know, we're piling in the work and then we're piling in the self-care and then we're piling in the parenting or whatever else we're doing. And 
that's, yeah, sometimes self-care is not doing something, is not doing that mindfulness, is not seeing the friend. Because well, that's, the, that's the subtraction thing again. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? It's it sort of, I'm really thinking about the themes, you know, with burnout, with the moral injury, with subtraction, with the imposter syndrome. You know, it's, it's, it's this place where we can get stuck in, in the way we want things to be. And we struggle with that. We struggle with the, the, the acceptance that, it, that it's just too hard or it's not the way our minds are telling us it is. Yeah. We need to yeah. take a step back. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there, is, there is subtracting, there is rest, but I also like how in your, in your fabulous new book, you quote one of my favorite people, David White, W-H-Y-T-E, who's actually local here in Seattle, Bainbridge Island, actually. But he, he talks about the antidote to exhaustion. Finish yes. that, uh, that quote. So what David White is saying is the antidote isn't always rest. Sometimes it's wholeheartedness. And I think I love the point that he makes because I think the, the intuitive thing to do is okay, I need to take a break. I need to step out of this. I need to go on vacation. That's good and fine, I think, sometimes. But sometimes that actually doesn't really do much in the long run. And what we actually need is to re-engage, but I think to re-engage in a slightly different way. I, To me, wholeheartedness has more to do with being really open to our emotions, all of them being wholehearted in terms of how we approach our work, even on the stressful days, even when it's really hard, even when we notice that it's impacting us, and to have more self-compassion for that experience and to use our emotions actually as a source of wisdom. So I feel stressed, and this was a really hard day today, you know, in my job or in my role as a parent or a caregiver, I felt sad, I felt angry, all the things that I felt. And it's okay to feel that. And I'm going to show up and I'm going to feel that and be okay in the feeling it. I mean, I think this is the acceptance part of acceptance and commitment therapy, right? That when you do meaningful work, it's hard sometimes. And all of your emotions are going to probably show up in that situation on any given day. Instead of feeling like, oh, I've got to, you know, not feel that I have to find a way to tamper that down or to disengage just enough that I make it through the day without feeling that. What is it like to open up to those feelings instead and to just be fully wholehearted as you go through your meaningful but stressful work that you're doing? Right. And you and you mentioned being curious about these emotions and, and even the stress as opposed to being stressed about the fact that you have stress, but to be, you know, like, okay, you know, what's this about? And, and that, that definitely connects back to, you know, what we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, our values and what matters to us. So how do you use values in the work that you do with the, the burned out clients that you see? Well, can I first piggyback on what you just said about stress? Because my yeah. colleague, Jill Stoddard, likes to say, if you're stressed about stress, then you're stressed. And if you haven't seen Kelly McGonigal's TED Talk on this, it's really worth the 15 minutes because she... She has a whole TED talk about how we have vilified stress and we look at it as the the enemy and that 
stress in and of itself isn't the problem. But when we're spending all of our time being stressed about the fact that we're stressed, that's when it's it's a problem, right? So well, I, I used to I used to tell the parents that I worked with, if having problems is a problem, you have a big problem. I love that. Yeah, it's unavoidable. It is unavoidable. Yeah. And you know, to go back to your question about values, I think that that's. That's part of it is that if you're spending all of your time trying to feel better, trying to keep yourself from feeling the emotional impact of that stress, then you're you're disconnected from your values to some degree. And I think that's where burnout, this idea that people are often detached from the work. I think that's where we see that loss of vitality. And values are really key here because I think sometimes people need to check back in with their values, maybe for the first time, but maybe they have a pretty good sense of their values and they've lost it a little bit in their day-to-day life. But, you know, to reconnect with the why behind what you're doing, to reconnect with what matters to in your life, not just necessarily in that particular stressful domain, but your life in general. And sometimes you realize you're off track from your values and you need to make some changes big changes or small changes. But sometimes it's more a matter of how do I want to show up for today? Today's going to be a stressful one. It's going to be hard. There's going to be all kinds of emotional ups and downs that I'm going to experience in my life, in my work. But what's important to me here? What's really important to me here? And I think that's not going to make it so that all the the struggle goes away or that it's not hard. But what it does to me is that there's like a perspective shift that happens. Yeah, there's going to be all the annoying stressors too and the nonstop emails and that paperwork I have to fill out and that kind of thing. And maybe I'll do some of that, but I'm also going to be really connected to the big picture of what's really important about this. And we know that people, you know, do better at work. They're more productive and engaged and they're more likely to continue doing the work that they care about if they have a connection to their values, even in jobs that aren't necessarily, they don't necessarily look on the surface like, oh, that must be so meaningful. I think tapping into something about it that you care about just helps you have a more meaningful day-to-day existence. So values connecting to meaning and vitality. Yeah. And you also talk about the the big P purpose and the little P purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look at it. So big P purpose would be, why does this work matter? You know, if you're a therapist like me, it's probably because you care about human suffering and you want to do something to make the world a better place in that particular way. And, and some jobs have that really built into it. Some don't. But often people can find this big purpose. Why am I doing this? Why am I teaching in this very stressful environment in this education system? Okay, let me remind myself of that. But then even if you've really gotten disconnected from that, or maybe you are in a just a paycheck kind of a job, right? So I don't really have the big P purpose here. I just need some money. And this is the best job I could find. And I got to just make it through this. Then I really encourage you to find small ways to, to find purpose in your daily life. So that could be, you know, a conversation with a coworker or taking a moment to just appreciate something good about your day or going for a walk during your break if you like to go outside and get some fresh air or something like that. So just finding those little day-to-day 
ways to bring some vitality and meaning into your life. And maybe you want a little of both, the big P and the little P purpose, but you know, I think that both of those are possible for us. I mean, that's that's not unlike uh, the conversation we had the other day with a marriage therapist who talked about, you know, small things often was that uh, mm. the phrase, you know, mm, to, yeah. to make it to make a marriage work. And it sounds like that's what we might do for ourselves, you know, mm. just small things often as, as a way of self-care. So it doesn't have to be, mm. you know, something tremendous and ultimately burdensome, but just just something like you say, you know, appreciating the view out your window as the seasons change and then back to work. And, and yeah. to me, when you are building in those, I love that way of thinking about those small things often. I think it's really important that it is tied to your true genuine values and not just another should. Yeah. Because we can all probably That's think right. of 50 things we should be doing on a daily basis to increase That's our right. well-being. Yeah. And some of those might be great for you. That's that's wonderful. Do those things. But I also think that, you know, you need to think about, well, what would add meaning to my life and step out of that that should way of thinking about those kinds of things. I mean, it's 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 so true that that's what we tend to do. That's our default. Like as humans, just to sort of add to the to-do list, add, you know, to treat ourselves with a stick. And, you know, give ourselves lots of orders and instead of treating ourselves kindly and gently and holding lightly, you know, like Steve Hayes says, all of this. Even sometimes, you know, because we care a lot sometimes about the jobs that we do or our roles, our various roles that we have, sometimes we need to hold the caring lightly too. Yeah. Like it is, of course, important and many things are important. And if we don't hold it lightly, it becomes a should, it becomes another instruction, another order. Yeah. It's so and I think you can even that. take that idea of the building in purpose lately. Some days you're not going to have it. You know, it's a Monday right. and it was tough and you just got back from vacation and you have to slog through all those emails and appointment after appointment. And, you know, yeah. you just make it through that one. And that's okay, too. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It's that self-compassion piece, which, you know, it's like, I just, as we're talking here and we're pulling in all these different terms, I just realize how overwhelming that can be. There's all these names and all these terms, like that was self-compassion. No, that was imposter syndrome. No, that was, you know, and, and, and it can get overwhelming almost there too. It's the sense that I need to do more self-compassion. No, it's more mindfulness. No, it's more, you know, but, but really that, yeah, that make, keeping things simple and kind, just to be kind to ourselves, because life is hard. There's a lot of things we have to do. And and the piece around the society that you mentioned is so true. Like the messages we're getting all day, every day, is, is really pushing us to do more. And really, and it's very sticky. And we don't feel good enough. And like you said, some of those messages are really useful for some parts of our community. And so they're, you know, easy to get reinforced. And we really need to be incredibly skilled at taking that step back and seeing, you know, the bigger picture, zooming out and going, actually, how's this working out for me? You know, what is this really for today? What can I actually, it's almost like Brenny Brown talks about checking in, you know, what have I got in the tank today? I've got 20%. So that's what I'm going for, 20%. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, so the piece around kindness feels so important in all of this. I'm often struck by how the people I work out, the people I work with in my private practice with burnout are doing these amazing things. And you hear them talk about what they're doing. And it's like, wow, that's incredible that you're doing all. And they're still so hard on themselves. And they still feel like they can't give themselves that kindness. You know, today I'm, I'm at 20%. So this is good enough. It's just really hard. I think sometimes for people that narrative, I need to do more. I'm not doing enough. You'll, you'll never get there because you're just, you'll do more and more and more and you're still going to feel that way. Well, it's only the end of August, but I went into a grocery store the other day and the Halloween candy is on display. And I know that very soon the Christmas stuff (laughs) will be coming out. And I think with the holidays looming, this is a time when people feel especially inadequate and like if I don't send out, you know, 50 Christmas cards or buy the perfect gift or, you know, go to all these events, then, you know, I'm a loser or a slacker or mm-hmm. something like that. So I think it would be really nice for people to uh, take some of this into the uh, the holiday season with them. I know I will. Oh, I love that idea. You know, what would it be like to, to do the meaningful things to you, but to let go of some of those, that pressure to do it all? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. tremendous. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. The handmade Halloween costume for your kid. <laughs> oh, and my the, You know, throw a big party for, you know, yeah. for Thanksgiving or something like that. Yeah. If you love that, fine. But, you know, sometimes it's too much. Yeah. So, yeah. You, so it's, 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 you know, like you said, work roles can be broadly defined yeah 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 all the hats we wear become roles and jobs you know this whole idea of you know burnout and parenting i know it's so obvious but when you spoke about it i thought my goodness of course i went only ever thought of of burnout in in jobs jobs but you know parenting has become a job. In fact, that word parenting is fairly new in our vocabulary. It used to be to parent or not to parent, to be a parent or not to be a parent. And now it's become another job that we can fail at. And and I noticed that the narrative is even coming into the, the children. I mean, children now talk about how we're doing as parents. You're not a great mom. Yeah. And so and so it just adds and this 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 the, all these roles, you know, become jobs and then the risk is that you expect too much and you get stuck in that pattern. So yeah, you can burn out in multiple places at multiple times or different times. And I think parenting is a really, it is a a really good example of one where we've seen that cultural shift Mm. in the direction of more pressure, (laughs) pressure to do all these activities with our kids and to parent in a certain way that's supposed to be better for them. And, and if you really take that, all that advice out there to heart and try to implement that in your life, it's, it's impossible. It's a really hard thing to do. In fact, I don't know if you can hear my children yelling in the, in the other no. room. Can you hear them? They're no. that. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm familiar with parental yeah. burnout and parental stress and that pressure. Yeah. Be fine. That's right. Um, They'll be fine. They'll be That's fine. Right. See? That's right. But 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 a lot of parents were thrust into 
a whole new role during the pandemic when they had to become their children's teachers as well. Yeah. It was a a, a lot lot of wine getting broken out about three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. The the number, the alcohol, you know, companies all made huge profits. Yeah. In the pandemic. We didn't even talk about that context, right, of the pandemic. And I mean, to me, it's just so obvious, but the burnout was, it was, really interesting because I was working in the space of burnout prior to the pandemic. But then during that period of time, it was so stressful for everyone. Mm-hmm. And as parents, you know, people are working and they're going through this really stressful world event and parents are also kids are around and they're supposed to be doing virtual this and that. That and, was insane. I mean, burnout yeah. was just That's through insane. the roof. And I think, it, it makes so much sense in hindsight. Of course, yeah. we were all exhausted. How could we be anything but exhausted during that period right. of time? That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, that won't happen again. No. Fingers crossed. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> not the homeschooling, hopefully. I mean, I well, remember my daughter was having homeschooling and she was in nursery. It was the most ridiculous thing that they had classes in nursery and trying to force her to to sit and watch these, you know, puppet show, whatever the teachers were trying to do. It's like, no, this is just not going to happen. It's impossible. I don't care. She's just not going to have an education for however long this is going to go on. But yeah, it was madness. Standing out, looking in now. Any any final words of, of wisdom or encouragement? I would say if you are experiencing burnout, which might be why you're listening, you're not alone I think that it's really important to reach out for support, to talk about it, to go to people who care about you and who you can be open with. And I think social support, we know it's huge for everything. And so I think the more you can get that support, the better. And I just have to say, I think when it comes to burnout, I I hope that the individual people who are experiencing burnout will find a way through and will get relief from their suffering because it's, it really can be hard to be burned out, but we as a society need to be addressing this ultimately at that higher cultural and systemic level. And so I feel like I must say that because I don't want the take home message to be that it's on the individual people who are burned out to, to fix this problem. Like, yes, you do need to, we need to take care of ourselves and we need to take care of each other in this but really a cultural level change is what has to happen. Yeah. And systemic yeah, change. We need more humane workplaces. We need to get out that's of this right. pattern of defining our worth by our productivity. We need to change the narrative on that. And I think that that is going to be the best way that we can all get through this, you know, phase of burnout that so many people are facing right now. That's right. Awesome. That's Excellent. so important. Thanks for, thanks for mentioning that. And thanks for a fantastic conversation. This was Thank you. great. I'm going to be measuring my own burnout on a daily basis, actually, because it's so changeable. <laughs> Good. Constantly check in. Check in. Yeah, I that's love it. right. All right. Thank great. you so much, Debbie Sorensen. Well, thank you thank both. You. It was really a pleasure talking with you. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks again. Be well. 
Thanks so much for tuning into the Life's Dirty Little Secrets podcast. If you have any feedback for us or secrets for future episodes, you can email us at lifesdirtylittlesecretspodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Life's Dirty Little Secrets or on Facebook at Life's Dirty Little Secrets Podcast. We invite you to follow, rate, and review us on wherever you listen to this podcast. It is the best way to get our podcast out in front of new listeners. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more. See See you you then. then.